Standing before us at the beginning of the year, if you like, are a series of doors. And these doors represent opportunities to enter into incredible blessing from God. And we don't know what all these doors are going to be through the year. I don't pretend to be that prophetic. But uh, I think God has already indicated to us what some of the doors are, and he will reveal other things as the years go on. But I think we've got some incredible blessing from God coming. And it's not just... Uh, my hunch that tells me that, the Bible tells me that too. Isaiah 61, this is a year of God's favor. And uh, so I'm going to take that as, as it says it. I believe God, I believe his word is true. But it's also up to us how we respond. And uh, I hope some of what I say this morning will help us to enter into that blessing, that favor that God has lined up for us. I had an email from a friend just before Christmas who lives in a country where it's illegal to be a follower of Jesus. And he said in the previous month before that, uh, seven of the local believers had been killed for their faith. Now that appears to be more than normal, but they live with a reality that is very different to ours. In that kind of context, they meet secretly, they meet in small groups, but they, many of them, are very active in sharing their, friend, uh, their faith with their families and friends and in praying for the sick to be healed. And you may have heard some of the stories that are coming out from those kinds of countries where so often when somebody comes to faith, there has been a miracle of healing, there has been a dream, there has been a vision, something supernatural uh, has happened there. But as you can imagine, they have huge levels of fear to overcome. They don't have the privilege that we have of being able to meet like this, a large gathering in public, because churches are illegal in those countries. In fact, that was true for the majority of followers of Jesus from the starting of the first church through to about the year 300 when Christianity became adopted as the official religion of the Roman Empire. But for most of those 300 years, being a follower of Jesus meant being persecuted. It was dangerous to meet together and it was dangerous to share your faith. Originally, they didn't meet on Sundays. The Sabbath was the day of meeting pretty much until towards the end of the first century, with the Jewish believers tending to stick with the Sabbath and the uh, non-Jewish believers tending to move more towards a Sunday. And as you can imagine, that caused friction as different groups did different things. In many cases, they had to meet in secret, and so it was small groups that were the key to the growth of the early church and to the incredible growth that we're seeing in persecuted countries as well. Revelation, last book in the Bible, talking about a particular persecution that was going to happen in a very specific area. That's what the book is about. Revelation 12 verse 11 says, They, the local believers, have defeated him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb. That's Jesus and by their testimony. And they didn't love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. They were willing to 
pay whatever the price was to, uh, to let people know about Jesus. The reality of new life that Jesus gives and what Jesus had done for them meant that they couldn't keep quiet about their faith. And thankfully, they kept speaking and they kept reaching out. And uh, it, despite the danger, they just kept on doing it. And it's a good thing because otherwise we wouldn't have heard, would we? It would have, Christianity would have stayed a small religion in the, in the Middle East. According to uh, a recent article in the Independent newspaper, it said, Christians are the most persecuted religious group in the world, according to a Christian think tank. The Center for the Study of Global Christianity says 900,000 Christians have been martyred in the last decade, equating to 90,000 a year and one every six minutes. It's quite sobering, isn't it? And it goes on in the article to point out that 97% of those deaths are caused by Muslims. The problem is not the Muslims. Most Muslims are just like you and me. They're genuinely seeking God. The problem is what Islam teaches. So please remember to pray for our spiritual brothers and sisters around the globe and especially for the teams that we support in those three countries that I can't mention publicly because of security reasons. But if you'd like to uh, sign up, you can get the email updates that come out. I don't know about you, but out of sight is out of mind too much of the time. And so having an email coming through is a really good reminder to pray for them and it gives some very specific things that we can pray about as well. So just email the office if you would like to be involved in that. As I said, we have the amazing privilege of being able to meet together openly and in public. Being able to meet together like this in our Sunday gatherings is something that I value very highly. Today we're starting a new pattern of meetings Uh, So Sundays 1 and 3 each month are going to be here. Sundays 2 and 4 are going to be in communities. And when there's a fifth Sunday, we'll let you know what's happening, but I think we'll be here as well. I don't want you to think that we're changing the pattern of meetings because I don't value what happens here. I do. And I want us to be able to maximize this opportunity and maximize what God wants to do here. And uh, thinking over the last nearly 27 years of this church, God has poured out some incredible blessing in meetings like this. But there are a number of things that have changed which have led to this new pattern. And they represent, I think, some of the doors that we're able to uh, pass through into some of God's blessing. In Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1, it says, For everything there is a season a time for every activity under heaven. I don't know what your experience is of churches, but in many churches, if you start it, it continues for eternity. Um, But in the vineyard, we start things, we stop things. Leaders come on staff, leave staff. You know, it's all, there's flexibility there. There are seasons. Time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. The first reason that we've changed uh, to fewer Sunday gatherings 
And for some people that, I know, feels like tearing down, as it mentions here, is because we don't have enough people to serve on all the teams. We believe in doing a few things well, and excellence is a high value to us. We do this for God, and we believe that he deserves the best. If this church had grown to this number from a church plant, starting from scratch, we would probably still not be having Sunday morning meetings. We would probably still be meeting once or twice a month in the evening, and uh, as well as having our small groups. I don't want us to try and pretend to be something that we're not, or to do something that we don't have the resources for. And so we have to be very pragmatic about some of the decisions that we make. There are all sorts of things that I would love us to be able to do. Some things that we've done in the past that I would like us to do again. Some things we uh, are still on the drawing board and that I would love us to be able to do. But when we get the resources, we'll be able to do that. Now, I appreciate that if you're away a lot at the weekend, it could mean that you would miss both Sunday gatherings each month. And uh, there are other ways to connect, because every Sunday there will be a way to connect with God's people and uh, some special things going on. The second reason that we've looked at changing to fewer Sunday morning meetings is because culture is changing. And this response I see very much as being a positive thing. It's, it's about building up. There is a cultural shift away from traveling to a central location towards being much more local. This is being seen across the Western world, and some multinational companies are responding to it already. And it creates an opportunity for us to be more strategic and to be able to gather more locally, because that's what people are looking for. We don't want to continue with a model that is outdated. We want to be able to experiment. And it may be that we'll find that this doesn't work, in which case we'll change it again. We're not afraid of trying things and uh, finding that they don't work. We've done that quite a few times in the past. But this is where our communities as well as our connection groups fit in so perfectly. I, was, um, I just heard this week about uh, a church not too far away from here where they've decided that Sunday morning is the thing and they're going to pour all their resources into Sunday morning. And I genuinely hope that that is incredibly successful for them. I think for us in the context that we're in, that's not the right way to go ahead. In our communities... We want to build community so that we can invite people into community. And that's really important. You might even want to write that down somewhere. We build community so that we can invite people into community. We want our communities to be outward-looking and not just a social club where the members get together. Obviously, there is incredible benefit in us getting together. Let's not... Uh, pretend that that's not the case. But there is much more than that for us. One of the strange things uh, uh, looking at communities at the moment is that people aren't necessarily always looking at the community or the thing that is happening that is most local to them, although increasingly that's the case. Sometimes people choose a community because of the demographic of people who are there 
rather than the geography. But increasingly people are choosing geographical closeness. This appears to me to be an outworking of our consumerist thinking in our society. It's all about what's convenient, it's about what's in it for me, what's easy. But at the same time, there is mixed in with that a rise of interest in issues of justice, which is more outward looking. Now, we know that our mindset as followers of Jesus should be a kingdom mindset rather than uh, something that is just a reflection of our society. And so instead of asking what's convenient for me, I need to ask how and where can I give? Instead of what's in it for me, I ask how can I serve? And we know that it's as we serve that we grow. Issues of justice, justice are also very important to God, and I believe they should be to us as well. The last verse of Psalm 11, um, verse 7 says, for example, the Lord always does right, and he wants justice done. God wants justice done. It's really important to him. There is a strong thread right the way through the Bible that uh, talks about how important justice issues are to God. So how do we respond to that? If this is one of the big threads that is going through the Bible, how do we personally respond to these issues of justice? Well, personally, what about in our thinking? What about the way we perceive other people? Do we give them the benefit of the doubt? Do we assume the best or do we assume the worst? That is a very subtle form of justice that affects all of us. And then how do we... Uh, respond to the, the bigger issues of justice in our society. Now, we can't deal with all of them, can we? And so the advice we have is you do for one what you would like to do for all. And hopefully that's something positive. It's not that you're in the queue and the queue is going so slowly that you want to shout at everybody. Uh, I've seen you getting your coffees on the Sunday morning. But no, it's we do something for one person. We can't meet all the needs. And that's one of the reasons why I was pleased we were able to support Anya with Justice in Motion uh, through the Justice and Joy offering last term. I'm excited about the team who are gathering to help those who've been affected by sex trafficking. These things are close to God's heart and they're close to our heart as well. That little bit about justice was thrown in for free. It was a bit of a sidetrack. You won't be charged for that. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it shows the diversity of what the church did. It's a passage that we've looked at a few times just recently. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
as we read through the story of the early church, we find different things happening at different times and in different places. Different structures, different leadership models, different times and locations of meetings. This passage records what it was like before persecution broke out. Meeting in the temple, meeting in their homes, enjoying the favor of the people. But as you read through the rest of the book of Acts, what it becomes very clear, at least to me, is that the structure of the church and what they did adapted according to the location where they were meeting. One of the benefits of this is that it makes church more accessible, having more points where people can connect with the church. Larger churches are often able to capitalize on this by maybe having multiple services, as we've done before, or by having multiple locations, which is quite a popular church growth thing at the moment. At one time uh, at Kensington Temple in London, they had a service in the early hours of the morning, which was very popular with people involved in theatres and catering, because they could go to church on their way home from their shift. I think it was one or two o'clock in the morning the service ran. One of the benefits of our communities is that it increases accessibility. It makes it easier for us to invite people locally. Some years back, Mandy and I lived in Whitney, and it was very clear that the mindset, the identity in Whitney is very different to Oxford, and that people generally see Whitney as a self-contained unit. They don't travel into Oxford. They might do for work or for the occasional thing. But really, if you live in Whitney, everything you do is in Whitney. And so if we want to see people in Whitney come to faith in Jesus, which we do, then we need to do things there that are specific and easy for people to come along to. Because the majority of people who live out that way won't come and join us here on a Sunday morning. And the same is true of other towns, other satellite towns around Oxford as well. So these communities actually give us different landing points where people can connect. A challenge to us, which is another opportunity, is to change our thinking to be relationship-based rather than event-based. Now, some of you may already do this. I don't know what your background is, where you've come from. But typically, the church lags behind culture as things change. And uh, there have been huge shifts culturally, which you may have noticed. And one of them is the big shift from modernism to postmodernism. The modernist mindset is focused on a central event. Uh, That's one of its... Uh, features. The postmodern mindset tends to let go of the event. It's much less structured and it looks much more to relationship. And I believe that that is also much more similar to a biblical mindset where it's relationship rather than event-centered. There was a guy called John Wimber who founded the Vineyard Movement and he put into place for us as a a group of churches, the idea that we build from the bottom up. And that was one of the phrases he would regularly come out with, particularly when talking about church planting. Now, many churches go the other way around. They start with a Sunday meeting, and then they build out from there. And they've seen success doing that, and that's wonderful. Instead, when we planted the church, we started with 
just one small group meeting in our house. Uh, we had a prayer meeting and we did a monthly outreach event and that was, that was all we did. We'd started building from the bottom up. And God quickly gathered people and so we started a second small group and then a third one. And at that point we realized we needed everybody to be able to meet together as well. And so we met together once a month at the weekend and things gradually developed on from there. And it was two and a half years before we started meeting on a Sunday morning and did any kind of a kids program. Because we wanted to build from the bottom up, we wanted to do a few things well, and we knew that the advice we had was that really to do a Sunday morning meeting, you need 80 to 100 adults to do it well, both in terms of the manpower and the finances. Uh, we have an incredibly good deal here with Magdalen College School. I'm very grateful to them. Um, but it takes a lot of people to, to do this kind of thing. And I think we see this pattern in the Bible as well, that small groups of people meeting together in their homes were the key thing. That was how churches started. Whenever Paul went to plant a church or other people went to plant a church, they didn't start with a Sunday meeting. They started with a small group and things grew from there. And in many cases, they never went to a Sunday meeting because there was persecution. Now, we have the privilege of being able to do both. As I said at the beginning, I value our Sunday gatherings. I value the fact that we have the privilege to be able to do here. There is a different dynamic here when we gather together, and I'm excited about what God's going to be doing over the next few months as we meet together on a Sunday morning. The last thing I just wanted to briefly mention is the pattern that we use in this church to help us to grow, which is glorify, gather, grow, give. And that gives you the structure of how things work in this church. The first one is glorify. We want everything that we do to glorify God, and so we worship him. We worship him when we gather together. I would love to see more worship happening in our connection groups. That's something that we uh, need to restore there. But whether it's a large group or a small group, we want Jesus to be at the center, and we do it for him. We're building his kingdom, and we're not building ours. And so we want to glorify him. The second thing as part of our growth process is that we gather. We, uh, just as God gathered us into his family, we want to gather other people and help them to experience how incredibly good Jesus is. And our communities are the perfect place to be able to invite people locally. There will be other occasional events that we do where we can invite friends as well. But I'd like you to start thinking at the beginning of this year that communities are about gathering people. They're not just about us having an enjoyable time together. So after people have gathered into the church, we want to help them grow. When we come to know Jesus, we need to grow into his likeness. We invite people, come as you are. But don't stay as you are, because God's got something much better for you. This is a lifelong process that all of us are involved in. Letting go of the past, learning to live according to our true identity that we were talking about 
before Christmas, finding healing for our wounds, understanding our calling, receiving training in every area of our lives, whether that's marriage, parenting, spiritual gifts, finances, starting businesses, uh, that's where this all fits in, helping us to grow, to become more like Jesus, and to be ready to reach out into our uh, society. And connection groups are the ideal place for us to grow. As I said earlier, that's where relationship primarily happens. It's where pastoral care happens. It's where you'll find friends with whom you feel safe so that you can let the barriers down and be honest about what's really going on inside. And you can take off your evangelical smile and admit that everything's not okay. And we have occasional events like Finding Freedom and Emmanuel Prayer, which are incredibly helpful to help us move in, into more growth as well. But we also want to give. One of the best ways to grow is to give. And so we encourage everybody who's part of this church to find a way to give. And that includes our Sunday ministries as well as ministries outside of the church. Things like healing on the streets, helping the homeless, helping those who've been trafficked. There are things that we do as a church. There are things we do with other churches. And there are things that we do with people who are not churches. Anybody who is spiritually neutral and morally positive, we can work with. And so as God blesses us with more people, we'll be looking at more opportunities to be able to do that. As followers of Jesus, we don't need to be afraid of what the future might hold. Instead, we can walk confidently with him, taking challenges as opportunities for us to be able to grow and to see him at work. Since our Sunday gatherings will only happen twice a month, I think it makes them even more special. So please pray for our worship leaders, our preachers, our ministry coordinators. Get yourself onto a team. Pray for your team members. The change of our pattern of weekend meetings gives us an exciting opportunity to be able to reach out through our communities. So please pray for our community leaders. Give them all the support you can. Find a group where you feel at home. Connect with those people and invite people in locally. And uh, be exciting to see what God does there. Our connection groups are the essential underpinning of our life together. And if you can only come to one thing, come to a connection group. And... Uh, as I said earlier, you can register for this term's groups at the end of the meeting or online. But uh, you will also find you grow a lot faster if you get involved in ministry as well. Doors of opportunity. This is a year of God's favor when God's blessing is going to be released. There are some exciting prophecies out there about what God wants to do. Some are coming from... Uh, over from the States, talking about what God wants to do in the vineyard in the UK. And uh, we want to be able to embrace that. Uh, we want strong relationship with God, strong relationship with each other, because we know it's where there is unity that God releases his blessing. And so I'd encourage you, get into relationship, uh, and uh, let's build together with unity. Let's pull together. This talk's been a bit different to usual, as you've 
spotted it's been a bit of a meander all over the place. There's been less Bible in there, but hopefully there's enough to keep you interested for the next week or so. But I hope it's helpful to you. I hope it helps to fill in some of the blanks for you because the vision that God has given us, and by us I don't mean just Mandy and me, but our leadership team as well, uh, I think is something that we all need to understand so that we can move forward with it together. So let's stand together, shall we?